0: Book five, chapter five, of the Heavenly Twins. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Heavenly Twins by Sarah Grand. Book five, chapter five. When Angelica heard those dreadful words he's dead miss didn't you know and buried yesterday her jaw dropped and for a moment she felt the solid earth reel beneath her the color left her face and returned to it red chasing white as one breath follows another and she glared at the woman for her first indignant thought was that she was being insulted with a falsehood the thing was impossible he could not be dead and buried yesterday the woman repeated i don't believe you angelica exclaimed stamping her foot imperiously the woman drew herself up gave one indignant look then turned her back and walked into the house angelica ran down the passage after her and grasped her arm i beg your pardon she said but oh do tell me do make me understand for i cannot believe it i cannot believe it the woman pushed open the sitting-room door and let her in was you a friend of his miss or ma'am she asked i am mrs kilroy of ilverthorpe angelica answered yes i was a friend of his i cared for him greatly it is only a few days since i saw him alive and well oh it isn't true it isn't true she broke off wringing her hands i cannot believe it the woman sat down threw her apron back over her face and rocked herself to and fro angelica dazed and dry-eyed stared at her stupidly the shock had stunned her presently the woman recovered herself and seeing the lady's stony face forgot her own trouble for the moment and hastened to help her i don't wonder you're took to my lady she said it's been a awful blow to a many a awful blow oh i never thought when they used to come and see him here in their fine carriages and with their servants and their horses and that as it was anything but the music brought him. though mind you he was as easy with them as they with him oh dear oh dear angelica's lips were so parched she could hardly articulate tell me she gasped tell me all i cannot understand the woman fetched her some water lie back a bit in this chair ma'am she said and i'll just tell you it'll come easier when you know when one knows it helps a body you see ma'am it was this way and then she poured forth the narrative of those last sad days omitting no detail and angelica listened dry-eyed at first but presently she was seized upon by the pitifulness of it all and then like scattered raindrops that precede a heavy shower the great tears gathered in her eyes and slowly overflowed forerunners of a storm which burst at last in deep convulsive sobs that rent her so that her suffering body came to the relief of her mind i wanted to stay with him that last night and see to him the housekeeper proceeded for the doctor's very words to me was when i went to fetch him before ever e had come to see what was the matter e says knowing me for a many years e says you'll look after him well i'm sure mrs jenkins he says and i answered yes sir please god i will for i felt as something was a uh, hanging over me then i did though little i knowed what it was and i did my best to persuade him to let me stay that night and nurse him but he wouldn't hear of it he said there wasn't no need and what with the way he ad as you didn't like to go agin him in nothing and what with his bein so cheerful like e imposed upon me so i went away oh it's been a bad business shaking her head disconsolately a bad business to think of im bein alone that night without a soul near him, and it is last on earth he would not ave let a dog die so e wouldn't angelica's sobs redoubled but i couldn't rest ma'am. The woman went on the whole night through. I kept awakin up and thinkin of him, and I erred every hour strike till at last I couldn't stand it no longer, and I just got up and came to see how e was. I'd a been less tired if I'd a sat up all night with him, and I came ere, and as soon as I opened the door, ma'am, there she threw her hands before her. I knew there was something for the smell that met me in the passage it was just for all the world like fresh-turned clay but still i didn't think it wasn't till afterward that i knowed it was his grave and i went upstairs ma'am not imaginin nothin neither and tapped at his door and e didn't answer so i opens it softly and says "How are you this mornin sir i says quite softly like in a whisper for fear of wakin im if e should be asleep oh dear oh dear i needn't a been so careful and I says it again, how are you, sir, this morning? I says, I hope you had a good night, I says, but still he didn't answer, and somehow it struck me, ma'am, that the house was very quiet. It seemed kind o unnatural still, if you understand, so just without knowin' why, like I pushed the door open, showin how she did it with her hands, little by little, bit by bit, off of fear of disturbing him. Till at last I steps in, makin no noise. Oh dear, oh dear! She threw her apron up over her face again and rocked herself as she stood. And there e was, ma'am. She resumed huskily, propped up by pillows in the bed, so as to be almost sittin'. And the top one was a great broad pillow, very white. For e was always most pertickler about such things, and Adam all of the very best and his face was turned away from me as i came in ma'am so that i only saw it sidewise and just at first i thought e was asleep very sound she wiped her eyes with her apron and shook her head several times and there's a little window to is room what slides along instead of openin up she proceeded when she had recovered herself sufficiently with small pains and outside there's roses and honeysucklers what made shadows that flickered for the morning was gusty though bright and they deceived me i thought e was breathin' natural but while i stood there the sun shone in and just touched the edges of is air ma'am and it looked for all the world like a crown of gold against the white pillars it did indeed eh hey, ma'am i don't wonder you take on this emphatically upon a fresh outburst of uncontrollable grief from angelica for i says to myself when the light fell on his face strong like that it's the face of a angel i says but there raising her hands palms outward slowly and bringing them down to her knees again i can't tell you but his lips were just a little parted ma'am with a sort o of look on em not a smile you understand but just a look that sweet as made you feel like smiling yourself and is skin that transparent you'd have expected to see through it but that didn't make me think nothin for it was always so as clear as your own ma'am if you'll excuse the liberty and some folks said it was because he was a great lord of disguise for such do ave fine skins and some said it was because e was so good but i think it was both myself but however, ma'am seein e slept so sound i made bold to creep in a little nearer for e was a picture shaking her head solemn and i was just thinkin what a proud woman is mother would be if she was me to see im at that moment and im so beautiful when ma'am but here her voice broke and it was some seconds before she could add you might a heard me scream at the cathedral and after i ad screamed i'd a given untold gold not to a done it for it seemed a sin to make a noise and im so still and oh, ma'am, e'd been dyin' the old uh, that last afternoon, and I never suspected e'd more nor a cold, though I knew it was bad, and e'd been alone the old old the blessed night a dyin' and sensible they say to the last, and not a soul to give im so much as a drink, and the thirst awful, so I'm told. And he'd been up to try and get one for himself for the bottle off the washstand was lying on the floor as if he'd dropped it out of is and he'd got up to get a drink for himself, she repeated impressively. An im dyin' ma'am, and there wasn't a drop of water there. I knowed it, I knowed it the moment I see that bottle on the floor. I'd forgot to bring up any before I left the day before though i says to myself when i did the room in the morning i must fetch that water at once and never thought of it again from that moment oh this is dreadful dreadful angelica moaned eh the woman ejaculated sympathetically and the artist part of it was the way they came when it was too late everybody and me Evan, forgive me thinkin M out o his mind when he wrote to m and Said they was his friends. There was his lordship, the Marcus Sedon, and his two sisters, and that other great lady. What is with em so much? And they didn't say much any of em except er. But she wept and wrung er hands and blamed erself and everybody for lettin the master ave his own way and leavin him, as it seems it was his wish to be left alone with some trouble. E'd but they ad come to see M too dr galbraith and the marcus ad many times for so i let em in myself and never thought nothin of it in the way of their bein friends of is i thought they came about the music eh she repeated they didn't say much any of em but you could see you could see and the dean came and you should a erred him full of remorse he was ma'am for not avin' come the night before though e was asked and they all went upstairs to see him, and them lying there so quiet and all indifferent to their grief yet with such a look of peace upon his face it was sweet and it was sad too for all the world as if e'd been ert cruel by somebody in is feelings but had forgiven em and then been glad to go israel israel the wretched angelica moaned aloud she could picture the scene her aunt fulda prayerful but tearless only able to sorrow as saints and angels do ideala with her great human heart torn weeping and wailing and wringing her hands aunt claudia hard of aspect and soft of heart stealthily wiping her tears as if ashamed of them uncle don sitting with his elbows on his knees and his face hidden in his hands and dr galbraith standing beside the bed looking down on the marble calm of the dead with a face as still but pained in expression angelica knew them all so well it was easy for her imagination to set them before her in characteristic attitudes at such a time and she was not surprised to find that they had been friends of his although no hint of the fact had ever reached her they were a loyal set in that little circle and could keep counsel among themselves as she knew an example which she herself would have followed as a matter of course under similar circumstances so surely does the force of early associations impel us instinctively to act on the principles which we have been accustomed to see those about us habitually pursue and they covered im with flowers and one or other of those great ladies in the plainest black dresses with nothing except just white linen collar and cuffs stayed with him day and night till they took him to is long ome yesterday the woman concluded then there was a long silence broken only by angelica's heavy sobs can't i do nothin for you ma'am the housekeeper asked at last yes angelica answered leave me alone awhile and the woman had tact enough to obey then angelica got up and went and knelt by the tenor's empty chair and laid her cheek against the cold cushion it isn't true it isn't true it isn't true she wailed again and again but it was long before she could think at all and her dry eyes ached for she had no more tears to shed presently she became aware of a withered rose in the hollow between the seat of the chair and the back she knew it must be one of those she had thrown at him that night perhaps the one he had carelessly twirled in his hand while they talked now and then inhaling its perfume as he listened watching her with quiet eyes dead dead she whispered pressing the dry petals to her lips then she looked about her the light of day falling on a scene which was familiar only by the subdued light of a lamp produced an effect as of chill and bareness she noticed worn places in the carpet and a certain shabbiness from constant use in everything which had not been visible at night and now affected her in an inexpressibly dreary way there was very little difference really and yet there was some change which as she perceived it began gradually to bring the great change home to her there was the empty chair first relic in importance and saddest in significance there were his pipes neatly arranged on a little fretwork rack which hung where bell-handles are usually put beside the fireplace she remembered having seen him replace one of them the last time she was there and now she went over and touched its cold stem and her heart swelled the stand of ferns and flowers which he had arranged with such infinite pains to please the boy stood in its accustomed place but ferns and flowers alike were dead or drooping in their pots untended and uncared for and some had been taken away altogether leaving gaps on the stand behind which the common grate empty and rusted from disuse appeared there was dust on her violin case and dust on his grand piano her violin which he kept so carefully she opened the violin case expecting to find the instrument ruined by water but no it lay there snugly on its velvet cushion without a scratch on its polished surface or an injured string she understood and perhaps it had been one of his last conscious acts to put it right for her he was always doing something for her always they said now that his income had been insufficient or that he gave too much away and that the malady had been rendered hopeless from the first by his weakness for want of food the woman who waited on him had told her so he'd feed that chorister brat what come every morning she said in a way that was shameful but his own breakfast had been dry bread and coffee without neither sugar nor milk for many and many a day and his dinner an ounce of meat at noon with never a bite nor sup to speak of at tea as often as not oh israfil israfil she moaned when she thought of it there had always been food and wine too for that other hungry boy food and wine which the tenor rarely touched she remembered that now to see the boy eat and be happy was all he asked and if hunger pinched him he filled his pipe and smoked till the craving ceased she saw it all now but why had she never suspected it she who was rolling in wealth his face was wan enough at times and worn to that expression of sadness which comes of privation but the reason had never cost her a thought and it was all for her or for him whom he believed to be near and dear to her no one else had ever sacrificed anything for her sake no one else had ever cared for her as he had cared no one else would ever again-oh hateful deception she threw herself down on her knees once more oh Ezra Phil, Ezra Phil! she cried only forgive me and i will be true only forgive me and i will be true it was trying to rain outside the wind swept down the close in little gusts and dashed cold drops against the window-pane and in the interval sprays of the honeysuckle and clematis tapped on the glass and the leaves rustled this roused her she had heard them rustle like that on many a moonlight night with what a different significance and he also used to listen to them and had told her that often when he was alone at night and tired they had sounded like voices whispering and had comforted him for they had always said pleasant things oh gentle loving heart to which the very leaves spoke peace so spiritually perfect was it and these were the same creepers to which he had listened these that tapped now disconsolately and this was his empty chair but where was he he who was tender for the tiniest living thing who had thought and cared for every one but himself what was the end of it all how had he been rewarded his hearth was cold his little house deserted and the wind and the rain swept over his lonely grave she went to the window and opened it she would go to his grave she would find him while she stood on the landing-stage at the water-gate waiting for the flat ferry-boat which happened to be on the farther side of the narrow river to be pulled across to her the tenor's little chorister boy came up and waited too he had a rustic posy in his hand but there was no holiday air in his manner on the contrary he seemed unnaturally subdued for a boy and angelica somehow knew who he was and conjectured that his errand was the same as her own if so he would show her the way the child seemed unconscious of her presence he stepped into the boat before her and they stood side by side during the crossing but his eyes were fixed on the water and he took no notice of her on the other side of the landing when they reached it was a narrow lane a mere pathway between a high wall on the one hand and a high hedge on the other which led up a steep hill to a road on the other side of which was a cemetery the child followed this path and then angelica knew that she had been right in her conjecture and had only to follow him he led her quite across the cemetery to a quiet corner where was an open grassy space away from the other graves two sides of it were sheltered by great horse chestnuts old and umbrageous and from where she stood she caught a glimpse of the city below of the cathedral spire appearing above the trees of morn in the same direction a crest of masonry crowning the wooded steep and on the other side the country stretching away into a dim blue hazy distance it was a lovely spot and she felt with a jealous pang that the care of others had found it for him in life or death it was all the same he owed her nothing the grass was trampled about the grave there must have been quite a concourse of people there the day before it was covered with floral tokens wreaths and crosses with anchors of hope and hearts of love pathetic symbols at such a time but was he really there under all that if she dug down deep should she find him the little chorister boy had gone straight to the grave and dropped on his knees beside it he looked at the lovely hot-house flowers and then glanced ruefully at his own humble offering sweet william chiefly snapdragon, stocks and nasturtium but he laid it there with the rest and angelica's heart was wrung anew as she thought of the tender pleasure this loving act of the child would have been to the tenor yet her eyes were dry the boy pressed the flowers on the grave as if he would nestle them closer to his friend and then all at once as he patted the cold clay his lip trembled his chest heaved with sobs his eyes overflowed with tears and his face was puckered with grief having accomplished his errand he got up from the ground slapped his knees to knock the clay off them and still sniffing and sobbing walked back the way he had come in sturdy dejection all that was womanly in angelica went out to the poor little fellow she would like to have comforted him but what could she say or do alas alas a woman who cannot comfort a child what sort of a woman is she presently she found herself standing beside the river looking up to the iron bridge that crossed it with one long span there were trees on one side of the bridge and old houses piled up on the other picturesquely israfil had noticed them the last time they rode down the river the evening was closing in the sky was deepening from grey to indigo there was one bright star above the bridge but why had she come here she had not come to see a bridge with one great star above it nor to watch a sullen river slipping by unless in each she bent over the water peering into it she remembered that after the first plunge there had been no great pain and even if there had been what was physical pain compared to this terrible heartache this dreadful remorse an incurable malady of the mind which would make life a burden to her for evermore if she had the patience to live patience and angelica what an impossible association of ideas her face relaxed at the humour of it and it was with a smile that she turned to gather her summer drapery about her bending sideways to reach back to the train of her dress as the insane fashion of tight skirts which were then in vogue, necessitated in the act however she became aware of some one hastening after her and the next moment a soft white hand grasped her arm and drew her back angelica how can you stand so near the edge in this uncertain light i really thought you would lose your balance and fall in it was lady fulda who spoke uttering the words in an irritated almost angry tone as mothers do when they relieve their own feelings by scolding and shaking a child that has escaped with a bruise from some danger to life and limb but that was all she ever said on the subject and consequently angelica never knew if she had guessed her intention or only been startled by her seeming carelessness as she professed to be the sudden impulse passed from angelica as is the way with morbid impulses the moment she ceased to be alone the first word was sufficient to take her out of herself to recall her to her normal state and to readjust her view of life setting it back to the proper focus but still she looked out at the world from a low level if healthy a dull dead level the mean temperature of which was chilly while the atmosphere threatened to vary only from stagnant apathy to boisterous discontent positive hopeless and unconcealed moved by common consent the two ladies turned from the river and walked on slowly together and in silence the feeling uppermost in angelica's mind was one of resentment her aunt had appeared in the same unexpected manner at the outset of her acquaintance with the tenor and she objected to her reappearance now at the conclusion it was like an incident in a melodrama the arrival of the good influence it was absurd if she had done it on purpose it would have been impertinent the entrance to Ilverthorpe was only a few hundred yards from where they had met and they had now reached a postern which led into the grounds angelica opened it with a latch-key and then stood to let her aunt pass through before her i suppose you will come in she said ungraciously but lady fulda forgave the discourtesy and the two walked on together up to the house passing while their road lay through the park under old forest trees that swayed continually in a rising gale and somewhat buffeted by the wind till they came to a narrow path sheltered by rows of tall shrubs on the thick foliage of which the rain which had fallen at intervals during the day had collected and now splashed in their faces or fell in wetting drops upon their dresses as the bushes struck by the heavy gusts swayed to and fro angelica whose nervous system was peculiarly susceptible to discomfort of the kind felt more wretched than ever she thought of the desolate grave with mud-splashed bedraggled flowers upon it and of the golden head and beautiful calm face beneath thought of him as we are apt to think of our dead at first imagining them still sentient aware of the horror of their position crushed into their narrow beds with a terrible weight of earth upon them left out alone in the cold uncomforted and uncared for while those they loved and trusted most recline in easy-chairs round blazing fires talking forgetfully something like this flashed through angelica's mind and a cry as of acute pain escaped from her unawares her companion's features contracted for a moment but otherwise she made no sign of having heard they had not exchanged a word since they had entered the grounds but now the gentle lady fulda began again with some trepidation however for angelica's manner continued to be chilling not to say repellent and she could not tell how her advances would be received i was looking for you she said for me raising her eyebrows yes i went to his house this afternoon and heard from the housekeeper that a young lady had been there and i felt sure from the description and and likelihood that it must be you she said you had been wholly unprepared for the dreadful news, and it had been a great shock to you and i thought you would probably go to see his grave It is always one's first impulse and i was going to look for you there when i saw you in the distance on the towing path angelica preserved her ungracious silence but her attention was attracted by the way in which her aunt spoke of the tenor in regard to herself apparently as if she had known of their intimacy lady fulda resumed however before angelica had asked herself how this could be I am afraid you will think me a very meddling person she said speaking to her young niece with the respect and unassuming diffidence of high breeding and good feeling but perhaps you know how one fancies that one can do something or say something or that one ought to try to i believe it is a comfort to one's self to be allowed to try yes angelica assented thinking of her desire to help the child and thawing with interest at this expression of an experience similar to her own i felt something of that a while ago they had reached the house by this time and angelica ushered her aunt in then led her to the drawing-room where she herself usually sat the one that opened on to the terrace this was the sheltered side of the house that day and the windows stood wide open making the room as fresh as the outer air they sat themselves down at one of them from which they could see the tops of trees swaying immediately beneath and further off the river than the green upland terminating in a distance of wooded hills i always think this is prettier than the view from Morn, although not so fine lady fulda remarked tentatively she was a little afraid of the way in which angelica in her present mood might receive any observation of hers however inoffensive her she had been looking out of the window when she spoke but the silence which followed caused her to turn and look at angelica the latter had risen for some purpose, she could not remember what, and now stood staring before her in a dazed way. I'm afraid you are not well, dear lady Fulda said, taking her hand affectionately. Oh, I am well enough, Angelica answered almost snatching her hand away and making a great effort to control another tempest of tears which threatened to overwhelm her. but don't don't expect me to be polite or anything to-day. you don't know. She took a turn up and down the room, and then the trouble of her mind betrayed her. Oh, Aunt Fulda she exclaimed clasping her hands and wringing them i have done such a dreadful thing i know was the unexpected rejoinder angelica's hands dropped and she stared at her aunt her thoughts taking a new departure under the shock of this surprise did he tell you she demanded no lady fulda stammered i saw you with him several times at first i thought it was diavolo and i did not wonder he is so naughty or rather he used to be but when i asked with whom he was staying everybody was amazed and maintained that he had not been in the neighbourhood at all so i wrote to him at sandhurst and his reply convinced me that i must have been mistaken then i began to suspect in fact i was sure lady fulda spoke nervously and with her accustomed simplicity but angelica felt the fascination of the singular womanly power which her aunt exercised and resented it is that all she said defiantly why didn't you interfere for one thing because i did not like to why on your account did you know i was deceiving him yes or you would not have been with him under such circumstances lady fulda rejoined and then i thought upon the whole it was better not to interfere she broke off recurring once more to angelica's question i was sure he would find you out sooner or later and then i knew he would do what was right in the meantime the companionship of such a man under any circumstances was good for you you seem to know him very well yes lady fulda answered he was at the university with your uncle don and george galbraith they were great friends and used to come to the castle a good deal at that time but eventually julian's visits had to be discontinued lady fulda coloured painfully as she made this last statement and angelica always apt to put two and two together instantly inserted this last fragment into an imperfect story she possessed of a love affair and disappointment of her aunt's and made the tale complete she had heard that never maiden glowed but that was in her earlier maidenhood with such a fervent flame of human love which being rudely blunted glanced and shot only to holy things to prayer and praise she gave herself to fast and alms they must have been about the same age angelica reflected as she examined the lineless perfection of lady fulda's face and then there glanced through her mind a vision of what might have been what ought to have been as it seemed to her but why should he have been banished from the castle because you cared for him she asked point-blank lady fulda's confusion increased that was not the reason she faltered making a brave effort to confide in angelica in the hope of winning the latter's confidence in return there was a dreadful mistake your grandfather thought he was paying attention to me and spoke to him about it telling him i should not be allowed to marry beneath me and julian said not meaning any affront to me never dreaming that i cared that he had not intended to ask me which made my father angry and unreasonable and he scolded me because he had made a mistake men do that dear you know they have so little sense of justice and self-control and i had little self-control in those days either and i retorted and told my father he had spoilt my life for i thought it would have been different if he had not interfered however i don't know she sighed regretfully but when such absolute uncertainty prevailed it was impossible to say that julian was beneath me by birth and as to position but there she broke off of course he never came amongst us any more otherwise i should have known him all my life angelica exclaimed and there would have been none of this misery they had returned to their seats and she sat now frowning for some seconds then asked her aunt does uncle don know did you tell him about my escapade no you are a singularly reticent person i am a singularly sore-hearted one lady fulda answered and very full of remorse for i think now i might have done something to prevent she stammered the final catastrophe angelica concluded then you are laying his death at my door oh no heaven forbid her aunt protested a long pause ensued which was broken by lady fulda rising it is time i return she said come back with me to-morn it will be less miserable for you than staying here alone to-night angelica looked up at her for a second or two with a perfectly blank countenance then rose slowly how do you propose to return she asked i had not thought of that i left the carriage in Morningquest. quest lady fulda answered really aunt fulda angelica snapped and rang the bell impatiently you can't walk back to morningquest and be in time for dinner at the castle also i should think the carriage immediately this was to the man who had answered the bell you will accompany me lady fulda meekly pleaded i suppose so was the ungracious rejoinder that is if you will decide for me i am tired of action i just want to drift come then said lady fulda kindly End of Book 5, Chapter 5